Hello, everyone, and welcome to This Isn't Working. I'm Tiffany. And I am Sean. And today we have a very special guest for our last episode of season two. This might come as a bit of a surprise to some listeners since the main point of this podcast is to kind of shit on how work is going (laughs) and what happens at work. But today's special guest is my boss. Ryan, would you take a moment to introduce yourself? Yay. Hello, everybody. So I'm Ryan, and I work with Tiffany, as she said, although I really do try to avoid the B word when possible because it just feels <laughs> the other B-word. or pejorative <laughs> somehow. Yeah, the other, the other, other B word, right? Um, yeah, but we work together, and I'm really excited to come on the show and fully acknowledge it's a bit of a Nixon goes to China moment for us with the theme of your show and. <laughs> But it's it's the most unlikely things that sometimes are the most interesting. And I think we kind of have gone from, does Tiffany know that I know that she has a podcast? (laughs) To, okay, I'm going to follow it now. To, okay, we're openly acknowledging that I've heard it before. And now I'm sitting here with you guys, which is really cool. So let's do it. When we had this idea like 10 months ago, the concept even of one of our bosses, supervisors, whoever being on was not even in the realm of possibilities. No, so this I would never have thought. Just breaks the <laughs> We've come right? a long it's, way. It can't we? happen. Yeah. It can't happen. Yeah, I was... Uh, <laughs> Good stuff. Some of my, like, previous uh, colleagues or supervisors are also know and they were like oh kind of nervous to hear what you have to say i was like i'm not you know it's like it's good <laughs> yeah. I, like i had a great time working with and for you like you don't need to worry <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah and uh, i think that speaks a lot to our relationship as colleagues and with you as my supervisor and everything as well that you're very supportive of this endeavor and so much so that here you are boom yeah let's do it let's let's get crazy excellent <laughs> Okay, so Sean and I came up with three big, like, trending work topics uh, that we wanted to discuss with you, things that are happening right now. The first of which is quiet quitting, which we said we would never (sighs) talk about, and now we're talking about it for the third time. And I believe, Sean, the third week in a row? I think so, yeah. Or at least, like, third out of the last four. Or third time in, like, a month. Yeah. Yeah. Three out of four, at least. Yeah, that's right. So here we are again. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's so weird. And I know, Tiffany, we've talked about this separately, but it feels strange to me. So I'm 35 as of a couple of days ago, so firmly a millennial and generationally speaking. And this quiet quitting thing to me just feels like a persistent failure of Gen Z, whom I'm assuming this is coming from, to market their ideas effectively, which is really weird because mm. the kids, the youth, these are supposed to be the people who kind of the most hip and plugged in and able to, you know, utilize all these channels effectively. And yet what we find is that the ideas that they have are just branded so poorly as to really <laughs> belie the idea underneath what it's supposed to mean. Quiet quitting. I mean, I don't know if it was just the alliteration that seduced them or what, but, you know, come on, man. Like it's, it, it could oh be because there's been a couple of, and I don't know how chronically online you guys are, but Unfortunately, I'm very, very much. Pretty bad. Yeah. But on TikTok, there was one of those things like cowboy caviar, and it was just salsa. So it kind of oh. is giving off that kind of vibe as well. You yeah. know, where they're just yeah. using an overly descriptive terminology for something really simple that everybody or knows just about. Like, yeah, trying to rebrand it for some reason and give right. it like a new identity when it's a concept or idea that simply exists. Mm-hmm. 
and has. Yeah. Or even like when you dig into like Obama recently has been talking about defund the police and without getting too political, like when you actually sit with someone who has held that sign up or has advocated defunding the police, actually, then they want to come in with all these different shades of nuance and clarification right. that it's really about adequately funding other ancillary services right. that will alleviate mental health or will equip public emergency you know, response teams to respond to a spectrum of things. And then those same people will come back and be like, well, actually, they need to be trained more. Like a Starbucks barista goes through more training than a cop. It's like, okay, so actually you want to fund the police more. You want to send them to more school. And I just think any slogan that ends up confusing people, even people who might agree with you, like what's at the core of quiet quitting? I might come in and say, so you're just going to like stop trying and just hope nobody notices? <laughs> well, no, actually, it's about upholding the integrity of the contract between employer and employee. Oh, so you're actually just like communicating with your employer and setting reasonable boundaries and aspiring for flexibility that really benefits both parties and not being in kind of a abusive relationship with an employer. These are all reasonable things to strive right. for. I don't know how you went from that to we're going to quiet quit and we're going to have a BuzzFeed article and it's going to be amazing <laughs> and actually alienate a lot of the people that if you, you know, talk to them one-to-one -one and explain what the idea was. And I'm, I'm curious to know kind of what the idea is even because it's just been lost in this total own goal, just communication fail. I don't know if it's because media is so balkanized now that there's no longer the need to develop skills to communicate outside of your ideological tent or your age group or your culture group. Uh, maybe this is a lost skill that this media environment has created. That could be a stretch, but it's just confusing. Like, why did you do that? I, I don't get it. So is that sort of how you would define quiet quitting yourself then? If you had to give it a definition, is this sort of just upholding the employment contract or original agreement? Uh, or is there more to it? Well, I don't know. So I would... I would defer to the people who would drop the term in conversation to try to explain what it means. I don't want to inadvertently pick it up and own it now, but <laughs> yeah. I guess one of the questions that I would have would be, do you mean you're concerned that the contract, little c contract between the employee and the employer has somehow become exploitative? And I think one way past jargon in general is to just get really specific you know, tell me about an instance where you feel like the balance has been thrown out of whack or that there is now a predatory practice or something that's just exploitative or out of whack that you're trying to see fixed and explain why this action that you're suggesting is the, the appropriate prescription and the prescription to do what? I mean, typically if you quit, the outcome will be you're free of your boss or whatever horrible work environment you were in. You also may not have any money anymore. Your career path is going to look a little weird. That'll so do it. <laughs> there are consequences to doing that. I mean, you still have agency to do that. But when you say quiet quitting, it's almost like you're backing off. You're pulling the punch at the last minute. Mm -hmm. And every tortured explanation I've come across has just muddied the water further to the point where I just feel like maybe the kids are lost. They don't know. They're encountering things in the workforce that trouble them or that they want to set right, but they just don't have the skills, certainly not the branding acumen, to communicate what they want to do about it.
It seems like the end result for quiet quitting, regardless of how people describe it, is that the employment relationship ends either by getting fired or they eventually quit and find something else. But it's basically like when people use the term quiet quitting for me, it's them acknowledging that they're just staying together for the kids. Like I have bills to pay. <laughs> so we're just we're just here yeah. for now. And this is what it's the, the marriage is dead. <laughs> right. Nobody's happy. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, so what's the goal? I think right. I would sit down with someone and say, what is the outcome? Do you want to actually ameliorate your working conditions and stay and have something be better? Or are you saying that you need to separate from this employment arrangement and go somewhere else, which the old kids, you know, the old folks just call quitting. So <laughs> I don't know what this new stuff is, but it's just not working for me. It seems to me like from what I've seen, and I'm I'm not a super online person, but my understanding is basically I kind of as you were saying Ryan that it's just like you scale back what you're doing only to the point of like working and doing the things that you agreed to do when you were hired or signed your contract or whatever your uh, job description is what confuses me a lot is that it's it's not at all quitting it's just working the job you agreed to work and I think that there is a side of that that is good to talk about in that it's like we should have healthy boundaries at work and between work and life and in not taking too much on and not feeling overwhelmed and this and that and if you are the person in the office who's asked to do like everything like that's not okay but from what I've seen it hasn't always necessarily been like I've shifted into this gear until I quit like maybe they're not actively looking for something else they're just like I'm I'm setting my own boundaries quietly but I, I think that that's a different phenomenon. I'm reminded of a frequent catchphrase in job descriptions, certainly when I was entering the workforce. I don't think I've seen it lately, but they'll give you like a bullet point list of all the things that you're going to be doing in this role. And then the final one is other duties as assigned. Yes. You know, we, we can think about this in a negative light, and I think for many people it does become negative and it turns into kind of really administrative work or just the hot potato that nobody else wants to touch or do or it's beneath other people. It can also be fruitful in the sense that that's oftentimes the pathway into opportunity mm-hmm. where the same person in a different context would tell you that they're looking to grow. They want to take more on and do more interesting projects, things that maybe stretch their thinking. And it can be tough to put that in a bullet point list. So I think you want some ambiguity in the tasks of your role or the scope of your role. But with everything, it comes down to culture and why culture is so important. If you have a corporate culture that values people that proactively gives boundaries to people so they don't feel like they have to quietly introduce their own and not tell anybody if that's (laughs) what it's about. I think if you actually have that integrity from a cultural sense, then other duties as assigned gets to be kind of fun, dare I say, or at least interesting. But you can really learn a lot from those opportunities. And I think we've somehow reduced the conversation to just other duties as assigned is now code for all these horrible things that we're going to make you do. And that's just kind of a sad small way of looking at it that is it is and we've talked about that (laughs) yeah yeah and I like even as you're coming up with that perspective that's like completely outside the realm of any of my experience with other duties as a sign like I didn't even consider that as an option so for example I have tried in different roles 
to do things like that where I've been like, hey, I want to present at this conference. Hey, I have an idea. Hey, we should be doing this and I want to be more active in it. And I've actually been told you don't really have time for that or like you don't really have the bandwidth for that. Another favorite corporatism of ours. Ouch. Bandwidth. Yeah. 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 That one hurts. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. But then when it comes time for the the hot potato that nobody wants or the grunt work that nobody's interested in but needs to be done. I've sort of been the recipient of that under the other duties as a sign thing. So it it never even occurred to me that my attempts to take other duties as a sign and make them my own would be categorized under other duties as a sign because in my experience, I've felt like only the negative side of that. So the fact that like my efforts to do more would have fallen under that too. I, I never, ever conceptualized it that way. Yeah, never either. I would have never... I just always assume it means here's some administrative work that nobody wants to do that uh, <laughs> will fall under that 10% sort of piece, but yeah. uh, might might uh, benefit from a bit of a rephrasing if organizations do in fact want it to include more positive things. <laughs> I think with a lot of these issues, there's the question of reciprocity. Yes. And in a healthy culture, you have reciprocity. So other duties as assigned, the reciprocity of that is, yes, sometimes we might ask you to do an administrative task or something that doesn't particularly excite you. And yes, it may fall off of this iterated bullet list that I gave you at the outset of the job. We're not going to tell you like every possible thing you could be involved in. Now, the reciprocity of that is hopefully you have opportunities to take on ad hoc projects or different innovative things that can showcase your skill set, that can signal that you can be trusted with more kind of be a laboratory for your skills and for a young person starting off to try and grow I think is really crucial as an opportunity for them to kind of spread their wings a little bit and demonstrate that you know look what else I can do beyond this iterated list that you gave me but if you only have one side of that it's the same with like you know flexibility of workplace hours if that just means that they can make you get on calls at 10 o'clock at night, but never that you have to leave at three, and that needs to be cool too from time to time, I think that's where you can kind of heat check these ideas and make sure that the door is actually swinging both ways for mutual benefit. I would also like to add that I don't mind all administrative work, and I think there is actually some value to One, because regardless of your role, there's going to be some sort of administrative work, some sort of paperwork that mm -hmm. nobody wants to do. But I also think there's a lot of value in being able to organize a spreadsheet mm -hmm. or, you know, fill out paperwork properly. Absolutely. Or and, even just knowing yeah. how things get done. I think some of the administrative tasks can be, if you can tolerate it, can be an mm -hmm. interesting window into the mechanisms of how things happen that can be really useful for you in a career. I totally within agree. Reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Within reason. Within reason. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes there's just straight BS that's like, yes. oh my God. Yes. Uh, why or why and how did I get in this situation? Right. But the taskmasters. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I totally agree, Sean, with that take that like I, I absolutely don't mind administrative work as a concept generally. I actually, because I'm neurotic and hyper organized, sometimes really get a lot of joy out of doing things like that. Oh, yeah. But I have had in the past tried to like stop myself from always being the first to volunteer for things that I like maybe wouldn't mind doing simply because yeah. a lot of times if you're like the only woman in the office or a lot of times those administrative duties typically culturally the mindset is that they like a woman should be doing those things. So even if you have a higher mm. title, if you're in a room of people of similar hierarchy, then those sorts of tasks often default to a woman. So I have tried to like 
not all like taking notes in a meeting is a great example. I super don't mind doing that. I take great notes. I'm good at organizing them. I'm pretty prompt and like sending them out. That's something I'm good at. But I try not to always volunteer for things like that so that I'm not seen mm-hmm. as the default and so that I'm not perpetuating that like, oh, a, a girl should do it. It's woman's work. Yeah. 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 What a terrible thing. And it's interesting how people inadvertently police those expectations themselves or perpetuate them rather, mm-hmm. where you could, out of a desire to help in, you know, whatever whatever context that may be, you're inadvertently doubling down on these hidden expectations. Right. Maybe that people don't even consciously know they have that, oh, well, Tiffany will take the notes. Well, why? Like, mm-hmm. what's wrong with that guy over there? He can take the notes, you know? That's such a, you have to be so proactive about that, don't you? Yeah. That is another layer and sort of added dimension that you have to be conscious mm-hmm. of where Ryan and I don't, frankly. And yeah. I guess this is in my white, straight male little package, uh, backpack of privilege that I get around <laughs> to not have to be the note taker. It's like you don't even notice it, honestly. So just that being conscious of it and, again, having a workplace with that line of communication where you can safely point out, you know, just because I'm helpful and organized doesn't mean that I have to be the note taker every time. It all comes down to the culture without repeating myself too much. (laughs) I need that in order to have a healthy anything else, basically. Yeah, definitely. If we switch gears slightly to the next sort of topic, um, which we haven't really spoken about very much because neither of us have children, unless you count me having an 88-pound pit bull or Tiffany having (laughs) 87 pets. That's true. That's true. The, The topic of being a working parent, particularly since the advent of COVID and really throughout all of time, but particularly the additional demands of COVID when kids went to remote learning and all sort of stuff. Because you have children and work. I do. I do. Yes. Well, there's a couple of directions we go. We could go down the COVID road, which I don't necessarily want to, but just in general, how have you managed being a working parent? And because we have to go down the COVID a little bit, how was that changed with COVID? And what does that look like today now that we're sort of not really on the other side of COVID, but we're in a much better place? We're on some side of COVID. Yeah. Who knows how many facets this thing has, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a great question and it's such a sweeping topic. So just for context for the listener, I have two sons and a daughter. Sons are 11 and nine and my daughter just turned two. So it kind of runs the gamut in terms of when you think of kids, like what do they need? Can they communicate their needs? What is their schedule? Really kind of a varied experience. Um, Just to kind of address COVID right off the bat, the pandemic itself was terrible from a working parent perspective. And I know that everybody had a bad time in one way or the other. But from my perspective, the schooling and what happened with the schools was absolutely detrimental to my ability to get things done. And we were all really suffering. Um, Just personally, my comfort level, like, for example, to take an external call if we were talking to a client or a prospective client or someone, or even my colleagues that I don't work very closely with all the time. I'm just not someone who is productive or comfortable having kids running around in the back room, in the background. (laughs) That's just not like my brand or I just can't do it. I can't do it. I'm severely compromised in a professional sense. So, (laughs) I feel like most people would be if you had three kids behind you. Especially those ages. They're young. They've got energy. Yeah. The older ones can kind of fend for themselves. And so (laughs) in New York State, where I'm sitting, there were many months when public schools were closed in person. It was entirely 
remote. So my house just looked like a Swedish call center with all these blonde kids set up with laptops, right? And I'm like getting them all going, open up their Google Docs, like, okay, here's your classroom, like read this, do that. And you kind of give them 35 minutes worth of stuff to do. And just imagine that. Then you sit down and you're like, okay, like lest we forget this whole ship runs with me doing my thing too, you know, not exclusively, but it's a pretty important part. So I'm trying to marshal some kind of productivity in a 33 and a half minute window subject to interruption of this didn't load or all my answers got deleted or, you know, we basically gave kids a crash course in computers, (laughs) let alone trying to learn the actual material you know, it was like the medium uh, yeah. as much as the, the substance. Yeah, I'm, just, so. I'm just thinking about how terrible this sounds and you're not even finished. I know. This. It was really bad. It was really bad. Um, bad. You know, there were also public health considerations that I'm not impugning the practice itself. So I just want to be really careful to say, like, if people were exposed to someone with COVID, they should stay home, especially in the early days. We didn't know uh, yeah. all of what we know now. And I think the strains were more virulent, you could say. I'll defer to the public health people on that, but just very personally, like any time there was a COVID exposure, the kids would be home. And so we eventually crawled back to a place where they would have an A-B schedule at school, which is like Monday's an A day. So kids with the last name of A through K are going to go into school on this day. And then the next day you stay home. So things became about half as bad as what I just described. It's <laughs> still pretty bad. That sounds frustrating, but Which also still a little pretty bit pretty awful. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was something. Um finally we made our way back to full time, but if you had a COVID exposure in your classroom, everybody had to stay home for a period of time. And actually my two sons who were in elementary school age at the time, I think this was fall of twenty twenty one. They missed the first two weeks of school because Scarlett got COVID from the daycare. Mm. And even though they did not test positive because they were cohabitating with someone who was positive, the public health order was that you had to stay home and contact trace. And it was just a nightmare. So for everybody all around, I know this is primarily like from a work sense, what was it like? The kids really suffered. There was no good answer, so I don't mm. know that the answer was to just desantis it and send everybody in indefinitely. <laughs> not, not. I don't think anybody that, fully had the right answer. Obviously, yeah, New York just State tried stuff. Yeah. might be more stringent, you know? and then Florida was just a free for all. It was just whatever. Yeah, and we kind of landed where we landed, but you know, from a work sense, it was extremely difficult to plan anything. You end up just really hoping for the good graces of people because thankfully in that time period people were very willy-nilly and you know i had the benefit of working remotely since 2015 so i think just as a working parent generally that's been a really nice arrangement and it has allowed me to go and pick kids up from a school if they're sick or they can surf the couch for the day if they're feeling unwell and i can still be at work i'm not calling in the way i think a traditional office environment would have demanded and that kind of pivots me to like post-pandemic, if it can so be called, I think there is now a broader social acceptance of remote work and these flexible arrangements, which is beneficial. So I've kind of been continuing on as I have for many, many years now, but now it's not quite so strange that people work remotely. And I think people just tend to get it a little better, which has actually been good. Like, I would challenge you to identify a time period other than now that is actually easier as a working parent if you work remotely. 
and I don't want to like overstep the statement, but I think there's a lot of flexibility baked in that's pretty sweet, actually. I don't want to set it up as this big persecuted thing. Like it's actually not too bad. Uh, my wife works in person, so that's she's what in I was about to ask setting. you. Yeah. Oh, okay. So well, that <laughs> like for us, it really works pretty well. Like she physically has to be there. She does diagnostic right. medical imaging, and uh, you, you can't really do that from Zoom. So you got to be there. Um, so that's a nice little dynamic that works for us. I would imagine if both partners worked from home, so much the better. But as long as you have one, I think that's been a pretty beneficial experience. I would imagine so. Even acknowledging that there are probably circumstances where people are struggling with sort of the baseline where internet might be an issue. And so having five people or whatever using the internet at one time doesn't work and this and that. But it is helpful. It sounds like that even when it was bad, since you had some of the baseline things ready to rock and you had already been working remotely, so you didn't have to figure that out and figure out your kids. It was mostly just yeah switching to figure out your kids. Yeah, I had the rig set up and we work in an international environment with global colleagues, as I think everyone on this call does. And so you could play around a little bit with the time zones. Like I would just schedule things late when I knew that my wife would be home. I had the rig in place, what I think a lot of people had to scramble to assemble and they were you know, just doing the kitchen table warrior thing when I had the benefit of a dedicated space, which was key. And even downstairs, I've got like a backup space that I can retreat to if I need to, which is helpful. So some baked in advantages there for sure. That's very true. And so I was thinking about this not that long ago, but a lot of my friends, because I'm 30, so now everybody is having kids or getting ready to have kids. Yeah, it gets worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I thought, because like having a dog is kind of like having a toddler, because like they can do some things for themselves, but not really. But also, I didn't have to homeschool my dog. So <laughs> the minute I went home, I didn't have to worry yeah. about like logging her on for school, or right. obviously. So that stresses me out thinking about that because I'm, because I'm not married or anything like that. I live alone. It was very easy for me to switch gears and just start working from home. Whereas I feel like people with children probably have just a handful more in terms of considerations to take into account. I always <laughs> felt really bad for people that felt bad about having to deal with their kids while on a work call. Like, yeah, it, it definitely can true. be distracting, I think, for whoever is there with the child, but also for others, maybe depending on the subject matter, how many people are in. But I'm never bothered by that. I, uh, you know you guys have both met with me at various times during the day. So, you know, there's always like a cat running through across my keyboard, like occasionally Knox will send a message. Like Haku is always at my side and like sometimes just off camera, like begging for pets. And sometimes I find that really distracting. And sometimes I'm just like, yeah, whatever. But you can't like throw your kid off your lap in the middle of a presentation like you can a cat. <laughs> so it's... Sure you can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> off they go. Yeah. I mean, I think you're being very charitable, Tiffany, but you know, with respect, a cat is much less disruptive than a two-year-old who is just demanding something and repeating it with ever-increasing decibels. That's true. I took a tack early on that just was like, we're not doing that. I don't know what else that means, what the implications of this hard line would be, but we're not doing that. I just can't. It can't happen. I just can't function. I'd rather stay up late or reschedule something because you feel that tinge of like, oh, man, I can't cancel this meeting. But I just, it was like a Sophie's choice of like, cancel the meeting and you're flaky. <laughs> have the meeting and have like a toddler join you. Just absolute chaos going on behind you, like the daycare from hell, 
which is really worse for your personal brand, you know, and positioning yourself in the workplace. I was the dude that would just be like, something's come up and I need to reschedule the meeting. And thankfully, I think people were down with that as well. But then you're sitting in their living room too. So it's like even that barrier of like work-life balance or separation while you're beaming right into people's homes and people got a little more sophisticated with the blurred background or with the, the wallpaper background or whatever. But Boy, in the early days, it was just like you were sitting in people's kitchens. You were literally. That's, I was just about to say, Tiffany had a coworker, and she was very clear in her kitchen because she never blurred her background. Yeah, I'm just in this person's house. I don't know really a lot about them personally. I know they have a kid. That's an that's like my age, an adult kid. There's a a, a new level of intimacy when you're yeah. inside somebody's home. Yeah, you're like peeping the magnets on their fridge now and seeing what what right. they got invited <laughs> yeah. to and stuff. And you're like, oh. Sean and Krista are getting married. That's nice. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Are you going to that? Oh, right, right, right. I felt really weird after my partner and I moved the first time after remote work really began in earnest because at our house, we had just like tons of extra space. So like he had his workspace in the basement. I had a dedicated workspace that we finagled after like my first week or two at home. So really early on mm. where I, I just had my own whole room and I set up uh, a desk and everything where the what was behind it was just the wall. So like I never used a fake background. I never blurred my background because there was nothing there. You were just seeing the plain background of my wall. I think eventually I like threw up some pictures to give it a little ambiance, but it was very chill. And then when we moved, I suddenly had my entire living room at my back. And I was like, man, I've got like laundry hanging back there. Like there's a cat <laughs> yeah, taking yeah. a very intimate bath in view. Like let's, <laughs> I need yeah. to, so I, I adopted the blur then. And now my kitchen's in my background. So it's slightly less like, I think slightly less intimate than like my entire living room was in the previous location, but I still blur and you can still see cats yeah. running around <laughs> in the background, but you can't tell if they're, you know. Making too when much it's unblurred mischief. or there's no background, sometimes that can be a distraction for people like just going around and looking at what's I love looking going at on and behind stuff. you. Yeah. yeah, well, there you yeah. go right there. See, you're one of those people. <laughs> and know. and that's sort of where you land then because now you're not even having a conversation. You're like, what color are your walls? Or I just want like decor What's ideas. on your fridge? Yeah, I'm like, is yeah. that an easy plant to keep yeah. alive? Like, would you, rec- should I get one? I think it was just that first, like, look into everybody's homes. It was, like, a little jarring to just be like, yeah. oh, my God. That's, yes. Oh, shit. You like, exist outside of that cube farm we go yeah, to? Yeah, like when you're a oh, kid no. and you see your elementary school teacher at the grocery store and you're like, mm-mm. No. You shouldn't yeah. be here. <laughs> you shouldn't have I didn't know they let you out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do recall the very early days when the CEOs were like, here's, you know, we're all in this together from my six million dollar mansion and you're like yeah. my house doesn't look like that you know it's like yeah we're the same okay. yeah we are we are the same we are all in the exact same situation it was like when those celebrities <laughs> um did imagine by john oh, lennon God. that's kind of what it was like that was a dark uh, cultural moment yeah. that was a dark hundred that was bad all right so our third uh and final big current work trend topic that we had that we wanted your input on Ryan was what we talked about last week. So the new framework that Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy has introduced based on mental health in the workplace. So I know that I sent it to you and everything. Uh, Sean and I talked quite a bit about it last week. We are, in summary, very pro the framework, but we're not really sure what kind of impact or longevity it might have. So what do you think about the framework? What do you think could happen with it or what will likely happen with it? Yeah, it's a great question, and I think the necessity of it goes without question. 
that the current work environment has introduced unprecedented challenges that really exacerbate things that have gone on in the workplace for a long time. So you've always had people that were kind of mentally on the precipice going postal. I mean, that's a very <laughs> old coined phrase, yes, right? Yeah, yeah. And oh. it spoke to a very serious mental health crisis Throwback. in the postal service, right? People go crazy. It's so much so that that was shorthand for it. What a dark, what a dark little turn of phrase that was. So it's badly needed and more so with COVID really rattling the apple cart for what people you know have brought to work mentally and the stress that they're under i guess i'm a little bit agnostic about the impact that it will have to me it kind of feels like and i'm dating myself now because i think they've changed it since then but the food pyramid <laughs> oh yeah you know, yeah you're sitting there in the morning with your yeah. cocoa puffs or whatever and then you're like oh shit this is not filling in any part of the food pyramid that i needed today I'm just up at the little tippy top of the sugars and things that are useless. I live at the top you've, of that but pyramid. You've like swapped. Yeah, them. that's so my like whole pyramid. It's they, just yeah. the triangle. <laughs> it's like an iceberg in the desert. It's just then there's the sand and there's nothing else. It's just that little little point, very small. I think since then they've gone to like a food wheel or some crazy thing. But my plate. Anyway. Oh yeah, the plate my plate. Thing. Sure. Yeah, it's like it should take up this much. Yeah, they did that. that when Michelle Obama also ruined children's lunches in school. Yes, <laughs> right. It was all yep. the same time. Yep. Thanks, Obama. Family <laughs> bastardized on us. I'm totally kidding. Um, so I, for me, it's kind of like, you know, you can look at a guideline or a best practice that is shared in a given context, and you can agree instinctively on the necessity for this, and point to examples of where this is coming from. I think the question for me is, now what? Who enforces or who even interprets it? So to say that we need a living wage or we need a healthy work environment, you're starting to get at squishy terms. I'm kind of reminded, Tiffany, of like in some of our contracts at work where we have like, contractor will behave ethically at all times. Okay. I mean, who disagrees with that on its face, right? right? But the problem is, who gets to decide what is ethical behavior? Whose ethics are we talking and about here? Yeah. For us, it can be a matter of perspective. It can be a cultural attitude that changes depending on where you're talking about. To me, it's less about like the rightness or wrongness of putting these guidelines forward. I think it's an important first step. I will not be the person that is going to say that this is going to have a massive impact or that it's going to revolutionize the culture of bad organizations. Because I think a lot of what the Surgeon General is getting at is already addressed or at least striven for in high quality, positive work environments with good cultures that value employees. So I guess my question, you know, to you guys or just in general rhetorically would be, now what? Like if you institute something that's a best practice, okay, that's something that we can all strive for. If it's something that's a rule or that has some kind of enforcement mechanism, Who's going to go out and enforce those things? And who, what's the interpretive body for if you've run afoul of those or not? And I just don't really see how you get there with the framework that's put out there. I think it's kind of an aspirational thing, maybe well-intentioned, but I don't really see the teeth in it, if that makes sense. It does. And I think our savviest listeners will notice <laughs> that when Tiffany and I did episode 11, we purposely didn't talk about what we think will happen with it. One, because it was like two weeks old. It's about three to four weeks old at this at the time that we're recording this. So it's still very new. So the point you just made, Ryan, I, I don't really see how someone can enact this into their cultural and make it like enforceable. Um, 
there's definitely ways to do it. I just don't know that anybody will. I think employers going to talk about this at a conference, maybe an HR conference and be like, this is so cool. This is great. But whether anything sort of tangible comes from it, I don't want to say with any confidence that there will be some sort of like cultural shift. I think COVID changed a lot, but I don't know if this is the type of thing that will be a catalyst for some new age work culture in the US. And I mean, just to kind of, because I feel like my initial response was a little negative. So if I could play <laughs> devil's advocate with myself a little bit, I guess what I would say is, what are we asking this to do? Do we expect this to be the silver bullet that's going to fix a bad organization? No, of course not. But is that really a fair ask, Tiffany, of this rule or this guidance? Okay. Or is it something that maybe can open the conversation and provide a framework for well-meaning HR professionals, for example, to discuss this with teams? And you have to kind of come correct in the sense of what we expect to happen as an outcome of this. But if that's an HR function addressing culture in the workplace, or even things like benefits and pay and some of these other practices that we talk about, insofar as it's another tool in their toolbox to advance their function within the workplace, it's not a bad thing. I just think we have to really be clear on what we're expecting it to do in the broader context mm -hmm. in which it operates. It's not going to just run itself and like be cut loose on the companies of the world. It has to be considered and enacted and localized in the corporate environment in which real people carry out this work. Sean and I also talked last week about how just like, yeah, this is nice, but like the Surgeon General can't enforce any of this. It's just a recommendation. It's an mm -hmm. idea. It's a concept. It's him saying like, there are problems and here are some ways that we could correct, avoid, prevent those issues. But there's no real mechanism for anyone making anyone do that. Mm -hmm. I would like to take an optimistic stance and say that <laughs> Sean's shaking his head at me <laughs> and say that I know that this is not a silver bullet. I know that this will not change the culture tomorrow in a way in the way that something massive and impactful on every aspect of everyday life like COVID could and did. But I would like to think that this is the start of or it could be the start of organizations having backing to things that they already want to do so there are a number of organizations out there especially newer ones especially ones typically run by uh, maybe millennials or gen z where they want to take these things into account and as we're seeing with the last couple of years of the great resignation and everything like that more people are flocking to those friendlier policies naturally and i think what could happen with this what i'd like to see happen in terms of you know the baby steps not not a giant wave of change would be that uh organizations that want to take this on will be able to say well now this is kind of like backed by the government these policies and our competitors are doing these things so if we want to remain competitive as the company that we are we need to make some changes so like Maybe their heart isn't in the right place. Maybe they're only taking it from like a business only standpoint. But if that still benefits the people in who are doing the work and who are in the environment, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And if more organizations adopt this framework or even aspects of it where they are like, OK, we can't do this really in a feasible way, but we can be really flexible. People are going to find that more attractive, especially as the workforce gets younger. And I'm hoping that it will kind of like 
naturally select where this has to become the new norm. Now, I don't think that's going to happen today, tomorrow, a year from now, whatever, but I'm hoping that something like this could be the start of big changes over the longer term. I think a lot of what you're saying is true, but it also is a little bit contingent on how tight the labor market remains. Because right now things are still like ultra competitive, despite all the other red alarms going off in the economy. But the labor market and unemployment (laughs) is still, unemployment is still very tight. Unemployment rate is still very low. Companies are incentivized to make perhaps more concessions than they normally would. But I am cautiously optimistic that this framework sets a new standard or maybe reiterates what the standard should be in a way. Or just lets people Um, know what's possible. Like the current, the status quo doesn't have to persist. We can make these changes. And then maybe if someone, if an HR team wants to do something like this and they're struggling, they can say, well, the government really thinks that this is what's right. So, you know, they have some. Some backing. Yeah. 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 Some firm, solid backing where they can be like, well, it's not it's not me suggesting this. It's the government. You know, if that's what they need to get from point A to point B, like. That could be helpful in some circumstances. Yeah, it's another another tool. Yeah, you're and you're right. By the way, to your original point, it's not a guidance. It's not legislation. It's not an executive order. It's literally just a framework. Yeah. And the government, frankly, releases things like this frequently. Yeah. I mean, it's not. That's why it's hard to say with concrete certainty, absolute certainty, this is what's going to happen um, as a result of this framework. Also, because it's not even a month old yet. I think certainly the organizations who were already interested in this will be heartened by it and will receive clarity from some of the direction that it provides. I think that's a much more reasonable expectation in terms of what happens with it than maybe to say that an organization that never cared about this all of a sudden will start caring about it. I think that's more where the cynical interpretation comes in. But yeah, certainly insofar as the spirit was willing, but people didn't know how to do it or by what measure to do it, I think they've now been equipped to pursue that further. I hope that it gets out there more and that people are aware of it because I didn't hear We talked about this in the last episode. I didn't hear about it until like a week later and only because it was on a podcast that I listened to. I imagine that there are many, many people that have no idea (laughs) that it's out there or happening. So I hope that it does kind of get some recognition at some professional conferences and things. I, I hope that those aren't, you know, empty promises, but I hope that it gets some awareness and some traction so that maybe those changes can start to happen in really small places in really small ways initially. Like, would I love it if all of this were implemented and everybody were really happy in the work that they do every day and no more problems existed? Sure. But I know that's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I've only seen it. Someone posted about it on LinkedIn that I saw. I, I saw one TikTok about it, but it would be great if it hit the level of viral virality, viralness. I, get, I don't know what the right word is there. Um, that the quiet quitting piece did. Yeah. Like if oh my God. This was the, this was the Where thing Where are the that TikToks about, about the framework? I know. I need these influencers to oh, get on here and start talking about. Ugh. We are not influencers. I know. <laughs> Us having a TikTok does not make us influencers. <laughs> Who was it that said that a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to put its pants on? Yeah, that yeah, is a yeah. great I think quote, and I don't remember. Strikes me. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. just seems like the thing that could actually change your situation, it just doesn't get Isn't the airtime or the oxygen that something really dumb, but that it's not as sensational. Alliterative. Yeah. yeah, it's just come on. Do you on. know what? Like, Every time I see someone talking about quiet quitting, I'm gonna comment a link to this framework i will do my that's part. a great idea Perfect. because you got to be the change Tiffany. that's right you got to be the change you want to see i love that 
Yeah, it also doesn't help that by having this conversation, we're also doing exactly what they want us to do. And one, keep talking about it, and Ugh. two, argue about it. Hate it. Uh, I'm yeah. I'm fully aware that I'm totally feeding into I know, all we're of it. Part of the problem. They want to keep us divided. It's like, well, but but now that we have your attention, it's bad, and you shouldn't say that anymore. Right. So right. Yeah. Never again. Also, please enjoy this framework. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's the best we can do. <laughs> redirect. Yeah. yeah. Redirect. I like it. Okay, so before we wrap, Ryan, we have come up with a list of rapid-fire questions. These are based on, I think exclusively, episodes from Season 1, topics that we covered before. So we would like your rapid-fire responses, your thoughts and opinions on some of these topics we've touched on. What is the biggest red flag for you in the workplace or with an employer? If you look organizationally at who is in the workplace, something that I've noticed is to pay attention to the size of middle management. Mm -hmm. So when you come in, particularly maybe in your first professional opportunity, you kind of see the frontline people who are doing like the essence of the frontline work. You understand who the big boss is, but it's in that middle ground that you can kind of see what's become a political playground or where people are like creating their own fiefdoms professionally and just carving out something for themselves that's not actually responsive to what the organization's mission is. And I I wish I had known that in my earlier mid-20s because I could have maybe avoided professional environments where there are more people in the middle management area than there are like entry-level carrying out the bulk of the work. And that just is a big red flag because it kind of shows that people are not progressing in a healthy way. They're not growing up and out. They're just kind of staying. Yeah. Have you also read bullshit jobs? This doesn't count as this a sixth question, by the way, because if it does, we'll have to add four more. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, right? Wait a minute. Oh, God. Um, no, I haven't. I have not read it. Okay, that's a huge piece of it as well. So it was very interesting mm-hmm. to hear that. Just wanted to throw that other call back into the season. Right on. Yeah, I would also yeah, say, good. like, that's a really good one to look out for. We have a lot of Gen Z listeners, and I think that that's a really good good thing to look out for as you're entering the workforce so if you are one of our gen z listeners like take note because that is a huge red flag that maybe wouldn't be quite as obvious up front or you wouldn't necessarily think to look for and i think just you know in terms of maybe someone listening saying okay well how do i screen for that or what ought i to do if i see that maybe in an interview setting you could ask what the typical trajectory would be like when you hire someone to into a position after how many years, like what's their expectation in terms of how long someone would do that role for? Are they being prepared for something else? Is there a culture of promoting internal talent or do you push them out of the nest and have them go and fly? Like in our field, it's very common for people to hop institutions and that's kind of what you do. So if you don't see that, is that not valued in this organization? I think that's something tangible that a listener could actually use an employee, maybe in an interview situation, to ask what's kind of the shelf life in this role and what do people go on to do? Like what's the success story? Do they have an answer that you hired? Yeah. Or will that totally throw them? That would be telling. Concerning. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So give that a try. See how that goes for you. That's a really good takeaway, yeah. (laughs) Craziest or wonkiest title you've ever seen or had? (laughs) Um my titles have been pretty like pretty reasonable i think they all describe loosely what i do or did which is good it's a good starting point yep (laughs) i think titles that get overly broad geographically just always kind of jump off the page i saw someone once who had a role that was director of strategic partnerships comma 
the Americas. And hmm. because you don't really talk about the Americas any other time, it's not like Director of Partnerships, Europe, and like the Americas. It was just so comically broad <laughs> that it just like, I don't know how you could seriously give a card out and be like, yeah, that's me. That's what I do. <laughs> right. If you're in the Americas, you call this guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> come on. That's just, that's a no-go. I think one one further answer is like when you blend something grandiose with something really granular. Mm-hmm. That's what gets kind of weird for me. Like senior assistant director of innovation strategies. Yes. Yeah. It's like, well, hold on. How many people are in innovation strategies? And right. also, what does that even mean? Right. It just starts to show like in a way it's not really defined at all or not clearly anyway, another branding fail. But then also there's some apparatus that they pertain to that might have just gotten a little overweight and just seems cumbersome and humorous. It reminds me of the... And I told Tiffany about this one in a previous role. There was somebody with a job that was like senior associate executive director of XYZ. <laughs> and I'm like, no, Too many they're words. never promoting you. You've you've never been promoted to just a regular executive director <laughs> or full on whatever. You know, you're just no, the, it's... the diet executive director. <laughs> yeah, it's like a retention diet. thing. Like you need to augment people's titles, I think. And, and sometimes that can be a signal that there are not true advancement opportunities. Yeah. yeah. Where like after three years, they finally gave you a senior designation, but actually you're kind of doing the same stuff that you did before. They just really felt bad and you kept asking for it. That's also kind of a, a red flag too. Of One final answer to this question is the accounting firm that we work with, Tiffany, they have some amazing titles. Oh, they do. They do. Um, I don't know if you remember this. I've jotted a few down. Please. There is a guy, and I'm not trying to be funny. There is a guy whose title is Secret Weapon. That's literally (laughs) in his email signature. I'm assuming it's on his business card. It has to be. There's someone who is a balance artist uh, in a financial sense. Uh, There's one, and this is serious, Mighty Lady of Ledgers. (laughs) Yes. Your face, I can't tell if I'm, so I'm trying to process in my head right now if I think these are funny, which they are, but also if this is like a massive red flag for this company. It's like, it's like when <laughs> it's like somebody- you guys are insane, aren't you? It's like when yeah. you see job descriptions where it's like, we need a sales wizard or a, an accounting yeah. ninja. And it's like, hmm. Uh, you, yeah, ninja, th- no, unless this is feudal Japan. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's an auto, close out the window and right. walk away. Yeah. That's just, yeah. that's free advice. Those are crazy titles. Wow. Something that I thought was interesting is that the guy who owns this company has the title customer caretaker. And I actually thought that was kind of cool. And it (laughs) speaks to if there was like a unified answer to this question, it would be that titles should explain the benefit to an external party in terms of what you do rather than be some kind of self-serving moniker just for you. And I think that's a really useful litmus test when you're looking at a potential title. That. Is yeah, I've never thought about that way. That is a good way to, and I, if I ever have the pleasure slash misery of creating a job title for myself or somebody, I will keep that in mind. Okay, number three, most hated corporatism. Oh boy, oh there are. I mean, there are so many. You know, just corporate small talk is horrible. I think that, especially in office environments, you are frequently just pitted against or in the same space as people with whom you don't necessarily share functions or generations or anything (laughs) beyond just being in the same space. And there's this expectation to keep the culture going that you greet them and Mm -hmm. ask them how it's going. And yeah, there are very like any communication that's just inherently empty 
Mm. I think it's kind of a corollary to the title thing. A title should explain what you do. Communication at work should advance understanding or build rapport authentically. And there are so many, you know, the the worn out, like, working hard or hardly working. Ugh. Or, like, can't complain. Ugh. No one's listening anyway. <laughs> yeah. And it's just this, like, deep, sad, nihilistic cry for help, actually. But people just <laughs> laugh and move on and on to the next thing. So any of that, I really don't like taking things offline, especially in this day and age. Because I really think that's code for we will disenfranchise certain people. (laughs) And you and I will discuss this very much online because it's 2022. (laughs) But just to be clear, they won't be here when we do. But you can't just say that. So we kind of dress it up in these absurdities that we all know it means something else and we just keep them going. It's kind of like the emperor's new clothes. Like everyone knows it's garbage, but we'll take it offline. No. Nobody's ever taking good things offline, in my experience. <laughs> no, it's always it's like, why things. can't we do it now? Let's just do it now. Like, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean? That's a good one. Uh, four, happy hours. Thumbs up or thumbs down? So I love happy hours. Um, I just listened to the happy hour episode this morning, so I have this very fresh in my mind. And I just have personally benefited. I don't give this as, like, prescriptive advice that people have to do it because I think you gave it a very comprehensive treatment in terms of how to engage with these opportunities, these events, some of the pitfalls of the events. I think for me, especially in a conference environment, it creates an informal space where very productive meetings almost can happen. And you can really move the ball on things that you're trying to do. Like it's easier to get something done at the bar or holding that lukewarm glass of Pinot Grigio. You can actually get a lot done that way. That if you meet at the booth at 10 and then you sit down in these little chairs and you've got your PowerPoint deck ready, it just feels very stuffy. And so I just personally have always gravitated to them or just gone along with them. I think that it's a place where you can build relationships if you do it right. And it's just so important to do. Like one of the paradoxes of the virtual age is that in-person relationships are more important than ever. It's even more impactful when you spend time together physically. So while I do endorse just completely rejecting all virtual happy hour invites, <laughs> I also, if I never go to another one of those again, it'll be too soon. Right. But you, you will find me at an in-person happy hour. I think it's great. And hopefully it's enough of a mixer that if there's somebody there that you just don't jive with, you can move on and find somebody else. It's a big tent world and you just do it. That was recorded before we went to that conference. It correct, was, yeah. Tiffany? Okay, so I found myself, and maybe it's because, well, okay, there was some broader, like, all-conference happy hours, but even just going to grab a drink with my direct colleagues was helpful because we got to just sort of, in a more casual setting, talk about things. Yeah. Obviously work-related, non-work-related, but I felt positive about that experience overall. Is that I your only, that was... like, positive happy hour experience sean potentially I mean, it must yes be. It must be. <laughs> well i've so i've at this least morning it... I'm, I'm sitting there and you're like i've never enjoyed a happy hour i, was like, I think it is this guy's yeah got some trauma like what the hell happened that's true uh, you don't know half of it uh so and, much <laughs> and now you're like yeah there was one i guess it all started recently. on june 1st 1992 <laughs> <laughs> that was probably my most positive but i will say um and i didn't represent this very well in that particular episode that um, I have had some positive experiences, either grabbing a drink with colleagues, 
in general or specifically at conferences but if mm. it's ever like a group happy hour where there's no particular context it's just kind of like specifically for socializing i've never been to a good one yeah having been now to uh two conferences with you ryan you are like very good at the informal casual networking side of things like i'm that's all i want i'm do following anymore. you around with my like warm <laughs> pino and like taking yeah. notes <laughs> Yeah. No, it's just, I think you catch people. Have you ever heard of the show Hot Ones? Yeah, it's yeah. the guy that oh, yeah. like eat the wings. Okay. What's brilliant about that show, it's the same reason why like James Corden doing the carpool karaoke, Seinfeld driving around. Mm -hmm. You take people out of their stilted, stuffy environment and you kind of deliberately knock them off guard. Not to make them uncomfortable, but to just get them out of their typical guarded zone. Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. you elicit a lot of really interesting insights and you have genuine connection based on that so if you can saddle up to somebody in a conference reception environment and just chat them up i think you have less of an agenda or you at least appear to have less of an agenda doing so it introduces social parity between you that you're just two people at a reception it's kind of low stakes really people don't feel trapped like you can always just walk away we're not waving a contract at you to sign but it really builds the foundation for a follow-up where you can actually have a more structured meeting later on the basis of just chatting with someone and kind of building, you know, people will only work with those that they trust and that they like. So you have to get those two things established, not disingenuously, but, you know, for real. Yeah. And I think everything else just kind of becomes easier. So I just, yeah. I really gravitate to those environments because of that. As I'm thinking maybe about uh, taking that approach more in the future, that would make me feel a lot less nervous. Like you, You've probably noticed, Ryan, before we go to a conference, I'm like, what are we doing? Who are we meeting? What do I need to prepare? Because that's. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. Let's just show up. Yeah. Like, no, we need to know. And I'm like, no, I need like, their background. Like, you know, well, I can only think of it happening in the movie The Devil Wears Prada, which is my main uh, airplane movie. But there's a scene where basically, like, the very important woman is, you know, too busy being very important to have to or to be able to, like, know everyone and so she has her assistants like memorize this book of who all's coming to this big important gala and then they whisper like right. that's so and so he has four children and recently married his mistress or whatever and and their <laughs> names are such and such that's the level that i try to have on everything that i do is <laughs> like absolutely memorizing the well, big I mean, binders that they have in that movie um yeah and it's just not it's not as necessary like it, and it's it's helpful for me to see that play out with you where you're like very chill about things and i'm like oh chill is an option it never occurred to me <laughs> you could be you could just be chill but also you're bringing an important point to this which is that you really should try to remember specific details about people yes. you don't want to just you don't want to swim in the shallow end conversationally and just never really take it to that genuine connection level like if somebody tells you that they're doing x y and z you should ask about that the next time you see them and you should respect people enough to remember those details about them and i think people also respond well to that including their name yeah <laughs> yeah like hello carl like i'm clay uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Shoot. well that's never a have a good thing. conference bud yeah right yeah. or if you can't remember the name just be like hey man or like yeah. Yeah. you yeah. again <laughs> maybe not yeah. the one. <laughs> oh you <laughs> i actually have a part two to this question not a sixth question sure. but i need to okay. know okay like um what is your <laughs> default drink and did you have the mm. same visceral reaction to my default drink that Sean did? 
<laughs> yeah, uh, G&T is disgusting, and it <gasps> should be God. discouraged, yeah. if not illegal. I was hoping <laughs> for support. Maybe when you retire. Yeah, I mean, if yeah. you go to Spain as, like, a little old lady, then I guess <laughs> yeah. that would be fine. Like, if your granddaughter orders it for you, that would be fine. Okay. I was actually nodding along when Sean was describing being a beer guy, because I was like, okay, this guy gets it. Like, that's exactly <laughs> yeah. me. I think the taste palette the pacing that it provides because mm-hmm. you can just go too hard and too fast. Like, I, I don't really think they serve hard liquor like on its own at a conference reception, but certainly these mixed drinks, you run the risk of them. It's too strong or it's too watery. Like, why are we doing this? I would just go for like the Heineken. Like if there's something that's better than a Bud Light that's being offered, I wouldn't necessarily go out and like stock up on Heineken myself, but that's usually the tier that I'm going for that can kind of take you the distance and grease the wheels, socially speaking, you know. Um, That's usually my go-to. And it's just an excellent prop. Like, sometimes I'm not above double fisting because you just (laughs) suck the first one down and then you're like, okay, I can't, what am I going to do with my hands? Like, I got to have something ready. And those little lines are way too slow. You know what I'm talking about. You're back there, like, and then it turns out there's 50 more people in line. You didn't even see them snaking around the, it's just horrible. So, I'm not getting played. I'm going to grab two when I go and hope yeah. they don't remember <laughs> yeah. my face when I come back asking for more like 30 minutes later, 20 minutes later. <sighs> well, I stand alone, I guess, on G&T Island, but... Yeah, that's bad. You know, I know you're not the only one, though. I mean, you're objectively wrong, but I know you're not the only <laughs> the only one who's out here drinking them. It's just uninspired. It's like, this is... You're so <laughs> cultured. You're so well-read, Tiffany. You've traveled the world. <laughs> And yet here you are ordering G and T's as though this was like a survival mechanism from Spain. (laughs) This isn't the Tiffany I know. She would be looking up cocktail books and like educating the person behind the little kiosk of what we're going to make. Like that's the Tiffany that I want to get on board with. I don't know this G and T Tiffany, but she needs to go. All right. I need to up my, I need to up my default cocktail game next time. Yeah. Next time. Um, Okay. Final rapid fire. What is your favorite New Age company benefit? New Age company benefit. Oh, so boy. we've described things like student loans, payments. Mm. Head insurance. Uh, yeah. yeah, those types of things. Yeah, there's really crunchy uh, There's really crunchy ones out yeah. there now, aren't there? Yeah, there's no... We're, we've moved on from foosball tables in the break room, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Good, because I'm horrible at foosball, so not a moment too soon. <laughs> Um, uh, I'll give two. I think one at the previous role that I worked in, we had an office in Philly where they had beer on tap, speaking of drinks. And I thought that was kind of innovative and cool. There was, they had built in like an area where you could go in a more casual setting. And I think that did foster connection for us. The context for us was we'd be coming in for like a week at a time and you'd be spending some time with people that you didn't normally get to see because it was all over Zoom or Teams. And just to have it embedded in that experience where of course we could go out and we often did go and find a drink somewhere else, but it just kind of like more explicitly opened that door that like, it's okay when it's five to go pour a beer and just hang out on these couches for a little bit while this one colleague finishes up on something and, and then maybe we'll all go to dinner or whatever. So I thought that was cool. Hadn't seen that before. Um, I had another one. Oh, it's just like a personal learning allowance. I think is kind of cool where, you know, good corporations or good work environments are interested in developing employees and I think equipping them to direct how that happens. 
or even being holistic and saying, you know, this is a whole person that's coming to work. They didn't specify that it had to be on like, okay, Tiffany, you can take a course, but it's going to be on excellent customer service or something like that. Like you could take a painting class. I bought the Rosetta Stone license for all languages. The next year I bought Gordon Ramsay's cooking masterclass. Now, do you think I've watched it yet? No, I have not. (laughs) But you could. No, I have not. But you have But I have it. I have the right anytime I want. That's right. On a serious note, like that was kind of a cool thing because I felt like it wasn't just prescribing something for you, but it was giving you resources, not just saying, of course, we want to develop our employees because everyone says that. Do you actually give them, you know, 300 bucks a year to direct as they see fit? I think that's kind of a nice perk. It doesn't cost that much from the corporate side, and it can really have a nice impact for the employee. Yeah, the ROI on that is massive. We just talked about that, yeah, where that's a huge, a very cool benefit because to a point you made previously, Tiffany, sometimes um, if your company offers a you know, slate of courses or development opportunities, you may either get through all of them or some may become completely irrelevant to your role or your interests right. and that, that sort of stuff. So I, I do like the idea of giving some sort of stipend or allowance for people to kind of choose what they spend that on themselves. Or sometimes like LinkedIn learning, this has become mm-hmm. kind of a graveyard for my productivity because it's touted <laughs> as this great thing. But what a death sentence when they were like, we just got LinkedIn learning for the year and I've assigned seven modules for you that I think will be relevant. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, you really shouldn't have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, literally. And then four months later, have. they're like, <laughs> How's your LinkedIn learning going? I'm like, oh, so great. your question presumes that it's going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's unpack that. And actually, <laughs> I haven't done it yet. So sometimes like training can be very onerous. And I think I'm not saying training doesn't have its role, but I think approaching development as separate from training and even being more holistic in what it could address and how it could help somebody grow, maybe not in just a commercial work sense, is really valuable, actually. Totally agree. And these and many more reasons are why we invited you onto the podcast. Awesome. <laughs> when when we began, we never would have imagined that anyone Who we worked with even knew about what we us. were doing, <laughs> let alone that they would participate. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's fun. I think it's all about kind of subverting the expectation and it should be a hallmark to a positive work environment mm-hmm. that actually, why is it so exceptional that colleagues on the same team can openly discuss work issues and things that go wrong at work, things that don't work in a workplace. You know, if you have that all out in the open and you have people on the other side who are willing to engage with you, that's where the magic happens. And you hopefully look back on that experience and say, that was a really good job. I was on an awesome team. These are some of the reasons why I'd be more concerned if I couldn't come on the show for some reason. Like, what would that really say about either me or the organization that we are both in service to? Probably nothing good. So I would kind of throw it back on somebody who can't come on the show and be like, what the hell's wrong with that guy? You know, it's not about me sitting here. It's about the ones who aren't or can't. So with that being said, just to clarify, Tiffany is not fired after this episode, correct? No, I mean, <laughs> okay. yeah, she's she's done. We're cutting her off at 5 p.m. Oh, okay, no. but not for the podcast, for other reasons. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. Tiffany's amazing, and uh, she's kind of our organizational brain that keeps us on track. I come up with a lot of things just off the top of my head, and Tiffany's <laughs> the one that, like, converts them into how they might actually be achieved, which is kind of where the magic happens. So we appreciate her, and uh, she's got a bright future. We love to hear it. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> I was going to say, what's your response to that? <laughs> 
So to be clear, Tiffany is working. Tiffany so is working. Oh, that's the conclusion nice. of the show arc right here. I yeah. think we just potentially got an episode title. Yeah, I was gonna say we didn't. We don't have this one <laughs> Tiffany titled. Isn't fired. <laughs> <laughs> Tiffany is still working. Tiffany's final episode. <laughs> yeah. Tiffany is working, working. overtime yeah, here, so right? Yeah. Coming up with the episode nice. title. There you go. I'm here to help. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. It was a really great conversation. I know we could have talked forever about any yes. one of those topics. That's something that Sean and I always talk about. There's always more. But this was super fun, and I really appreciate you um, being so enthusiastic and supportive and coming on and sharing your thoughts and opinions, bringing another perspective um, about everything, especially the parenting. We've never had a parent on before, mm-hmm. so really appreciate those insights. Um, and just, again, like your time. Yeah, thank you both. I love the show. Keep doing what you're doing. I think it's very necessary and kind of fun. So keep it rolling. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Awesome. Well, that is season two. As Tiffany, I've said in several episodes uh, this season, we've had a lot going on over the last, well, six months in particular while we've been recording this. Tiffany moved. We both changed jobs again. again. (laughs) (laughs) Guilty. Yeah, Yeah, Ryan too. Exclusively Ryan's fault. Tiffany Hardman, colon, so nice. We hired her twice. (laughs) Oh, another episode title. There we go. Uh, We've been traveling. There's just a lot that's been happening. As we're recording this, we're getting ready for the holiday season. We're going to take our break. Um, They'll be back in the new year with season three. In the meantime, share your favorite episode from season two. Write a review of the podcast. That's one of the key ways we reach more listeners. And if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast like Ryan um, you or Rachel earlier this season, you can just DM us on Instagram or email us. Otherwise, we'll see you in the new year for season three. Yay. All right. Well, for the last time this season, bye.